Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again to join in worship of our triune God. A particular welcome to any visitors. May you enjoy fellowship as you worship with us. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcements. Sister Sandra Ramaka, formerly from the Reformed Church Restored in Marienburg, the Netherlands, has requested membership of the Free Reformed Church of Southern River. If no lawful objections are brought forward to consistory by the 23rd of July, Sandra will be welcomed as a member as of that date. Uh, Reverend Poppy will have two weeks of holidays as from tomorrow and anyone in need of pastoral care will be asked to contact their ward elder or deacon. This afternoon the worship service will be led by our own minister Reverend Poppy and before we commence the worship service let us sing together hymn 28 verses 1 and 5. rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's now sing a song of praise to God. Let's sing together of the authority, the, the majesty of our King, Psalm 97, verse 1.
Let us now make a profession of our faith. Let's do so this afternoon with the words of the Apostles' Creed as set to music in hymn one. Let's now pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Dear God and Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that we may know that you are the king, that you have firmly based your throne on righteousness alone. We thank you that you rule from the throne in heaven and that you exercise justice. You're the God who is in control of all things and you, you promise us that today you are setting things right. You tell us that there is also a great day, a day in which you will come back. It will be the day of the Lord. It will be the day on which you, you exercise true justice and you set everything right. Thank you, Lord, that we may know of this, that we live in hope of this great day. And thank you then in the meantime that we understand that you are the ruler and judge of all things, that nothing escapes your attention but that everything is under your power. And then, Lord, we pray that you would help us to live out of that knowledge. Help us to submit to you. Help us to realize that as the great God, you are calling us to a beautiful thing by calling us to, to place ourselves under your authority and to be willing to, to honor you and to glorify you and to follow you and to be the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your Father in heaven, we thank you that, that in Jesus Christ, you gave us a demonstration of what true humility looks like, of what faithful obedience looks like. We're grateful that he humbled himself, that he came down to this earth, that he's willing to, to do everything that you told him to do, even suffering a death on the cross. 
And we're thankful that through his faithful service, that you've laid the groundwork for redeeming us and restoring us to a relationship with you. Father, we're hoping to open your word this afternoon to see what it looks like to live in this kind of relationship with you, to have Christ as our Lord and to submit to his authority. And we want to pray for a gift of your Holy Spirit that we may respond in faith to the message of the gospel. Please help us, Lord, to realize how much you love you and help us to love you in return. Help us to forsake the world and to to live under your guidance. Father, we ask that you would forgive us for the ways we have sinned against you. Thank you for, for blessing us with your word and bless the time that we have now. Grant that we may be encouraged in our faith and built up in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this afternoon I may preach God's word to you concerning two aspects of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's called in the first place the Son of God, and secondly, he is our Lord. This is what we confess in Lord's Day 13. Connection with that, I'd like to read two passages of the scriptures with you, first from Matthew 11 and then from Philippians 2. So I invite you to open your Bible, Matthew 11. We're just going to read three verses, the verses 28 to 30. Matthew 11, you can find that on page 970 of your guest Bible. Matthew 11, verse 28, the Lord Jesus Christ says to us, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So far we're going to read from Matthew 11, then I invite you to, uh, to turn with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, the verses 1 through 18. You find it on page 1165 of your guest Bible. So Philippians chapter 2, and we'll start reading at verse 1. In Philippians 2 verse 1, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to, your own inter- to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in, lab- run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So far the reading of God's word. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is a celebration of the authority that's been given to, that God gave to his son, Jesus Christ, to the king, and the the way in which he uses that authority. Psalm 110, verses 1 and 2. sisters, this afternoon we'll consider what the scripture teaches us about Jesus Christ as the Son of God and as our Lord. We'll do so by also looking at what the church has summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 13 of the Heidelberg Catechism. If you want to, you can find that on page 528 of your book of praise. Lord's Day 13, the first question asks, why is he... Why is he called God's only begotten son, since we also are children of God? Because Christ alone is the eternal, natural son of God. We, however, are children of God by adoption, through grace, for Christ's sake. Why do you call him our Lord? Because he's ransomed us, body and soul, from all our sins, not with silver or gold, but with his precious blood, and has freed us from all the power of the devil to make us his own possession. 
Then after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from hymn 23 to verses 1 through 6. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, we live in a time where many people do not like submitting to the authority of others. Now at our time, instead of people readily submitting to, to husbands or parents or to a teacher, an employer, a pastor, or a politician, most often or many times, the authority is challenged. We had at one time, within our society, we are a largely Christian society, and within our society, it was accepted that there were authority structures. The authority of the state, of the church, of the school, of the family. But these days, those authority structures are no longer respected in the same way that they once were. And underneath that, the more foundational thing is that the authority of God and of his word is being challenged. So why is that? Well, it seems there's a bunch of reasons. At core, many of us don't like submitting to others. Part of it is in our society, you have this idea that the person who is in authority is somehow worth more, that they're somehow better than the person who submits. So most people, they really reject that. They, they think, if I have to submit, it means that I'm worth less than the people who are over me. Another part of the reason is because if we don't like the way that people over us use their authority, then we absolutely are not willing to submit to that. But at core, probably the most foundational reason is because we want to do what we want to do. And we don't want anyone telling us that we need to do something different than what we want. Our society is sold on the idea that you should have personal freedom. You should be allowed to live whatever kind of life you want to live, and there's nobody who should stand in your way to prevent you from living that kind of life. And so behind that thought also lies this foundational rejection of those in authority. You need to be free. You need to live a life that's good for you. And nobody should be able to tell you what to do. Well, the Lord teaches us something very different in his word. He tells us, that he's the God who has authority. He created this world, and he holds it in his hand. And he has authority over all things. He can literally do whatever he wants. And then he also tells us that he has invested some of his authority in certain people. He's given the state, and he's given the family, and he's given the church authority, and he calls people in those positions to exercise his authority on his behalf. And it's actually a really beautiful thing. The Lord teaches us in his word that the reason it's so beautiful is because authority is never used in a selfish way, but it's always used for those under you, for the well-being and the service of those under your care. And so biblically, when the Lord invests authority in a person, then one day he's going to ask that person, how did you look after those who are under you? Did you serve them? Did you love them? Did you care for them well? 
Well, if you have that understanding of authority, brothers and sisters, then it's much easier to submit to those who are over you. And we see that lived out most explicitly in the life of our Lord Jesus. When Christ came into this world, his first job was to submit to the authority of his Father. God called him. God sent him. Son, I have a job for you. I want you to go into this world. I want you to set aside your authority, your glory, your honor, and I want you to serve these people. And I want you to do it by giving your life for them. And Christ said, Yes, Father, I will do it. I will do what you ask of me. And since he was so faithful, since he did it, then the Lord blessed him with the greatest gift ever. God said to him, since you humbled yourself, and since you were willing to submit to me in everything, he says, I'm going to exalt you, and I'm going to give you the ultimate authority, the ultimate power over all things. And it's these two aspects, this, this humble submission and this great glory, these are the two things that are the focus in Lord's Day 13. The first question that's asked there is, what do you confess when you say that he is the Son of God? And the answer is that he's the eternal, natural son of God, and he's different from us in that we are children by adoption through grace. And that it's, it's really very interesting. In, for us, when we think of Jesus Christ as the son of God, then the primary context within which we put that is in the historic context. What's happened in history, particularly with the great debate around the Trinity and around the divinity of Jesus Christ. But if you understand this term biblically, if you look at what the scripture says in the first place about Jesus being the son of God, then it has quite a different nuance. And so we're gonna look at that in the first place. In the second place, we're gonna look at his authority. What authority has God given Jesus Christ since he submitted? And we're gonna see that he is the Lord. He has received all authority from his father in heaven. And so I preach God's word to you with the theme, submit to the son of God as your Lord. We're going to see in the first place the gift of Christ as Son of God, and secondly, the gift of Christ as our Lord. So what does it mean that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Well, instead of thinking about that term in, in relation to the Trinity, it's really important to, to see this, this phrase in the context of the Old Testament. The first time the Lord uses the phrase Son of God, it's, it's not when Jesus Christ comes to this earth, but the first time that phrase is used is back in the Old Testament with the Israelites. It's in Exodus 4.22. The Lord comes to the Israelites and he says, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. These are the words that Moses said to Pharaoh. And this imagery of Israel as the, the son of God, it's something that's reflected in Hosea 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And so the phrase son of God is first used of the people of God in the Old Testament, of the Israelites. And it's really quite interesting, actually, within that context, there's, there's a special use of the phrase of the son of God. It doesn't only refer to the nation of Israel, but it specifically also refers to the king. 2 Samuel 7:14. God says of David's descendant, he says, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Or in Psalm 2, verse 7, the Lord says to David, The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. 
And so here the word son of God is, is used specifically of the king in his relationship with God. So really what God's saying in the Old Testament, he's saying if, if you want to know who the son of God is, it's the people of God, the Israelites. It's the king who's ruling over the Israelites as the one who's been invested with God's authority over them. These people, they had a very special relationship with God that nobody else had. The other nations were not called the son of God. They didn't have this, this familial bond together with God. And what was so striking about it is that Israel was a son in the way that, that many of us are sons. There are many children, many sons, are disobedient to their fathers. That's exactly what happened to the Israelites. They were disobedient to God. And the result is that, that the Lord, he, he called them back. He wants a relationship with them. He wants them in his family, and he wants to bless them. And so he, he sends his prophets to them, and he says, you can't live this way. You can't do this kind of thing. You need to live with me. You are my children. I'm your father. And when they didn't listen to the prophets, and when they kept going astray, then he, he sent these four nations to discipline them. And again, he warns them. He says, I don't want to do this. You know, I do not desire the death of the sinner, but that he may turn from his sin and live. So don't do this, and don't keep living this kind of way. Well, the Israelites, they paid no heed. And so finally, the Lord, he brought the covenant curse on them. The ultimate covenant curse is he sent them out of the land. Kind of like a picture of the prodigal son. They get exiled. They're sent away. They're not living in communion together with their father anymore. And so the picture of the Israelites as Old Testament sons is that they lived in disobedience to their father and they didn't submit to him. Thankfully, we're told in Hosea 11 that all God's compassion was aroused and that he found another way to continue with his children. And in the end, he sends another son, a faithful one, who does what his sons, the Israelites, had failed to do. Well, this is the biblical context within, Jesus, within which Jesus is called the Son of God. He's born a descendant of Abraham. He's born in the line of David. Galatians 4, verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And this, I, this part of his identity as the son of God, it's something that was repeatedly emphasized by his father. When Jesus Christ is first baptized, then the father says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Or a little later, when Jesus Christ is sent into the desert, is these, these temptations by Satan then we're told on three occasions with all three of the, the temptations that he was the son of God. But then what's so striking is that whereas the Israelites, they were unfaithful, they were disobedient sons of God during the 40 years in the desert, Jesus Christ was the faithful son of God during the 40 days in the desert. And so there's a contrast between the sons who are disobedient and the son who is obedient. Well, it's because of this faithful obedience that God loved the Son. That God was willing to accept his sacrifice of his one and only Son on our behalf. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
If you believe in the Son of God, then you share in his faithful obedience. That when the Father looks at you, he sees you the same way as he sees his faithful Son, Jesus Christ. What does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God? The only way that God can have us in his house is if we obey him, if we walk in his ways. And since it is our nature to rebel, he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to do it for us. Christ is the faithful son, and it's through Christ's power that Christ restores us so that we can begin to live as faithful sons. And then God also did something very special for his son, Jesus. Since he was faithful in all things, the Father invested him with all authority. We just read together that the very famous passage in Philippians 2. Many commentators think this is one of the first early Christian hymns. And this, this passage in Philippians 2, first it, it outlines the humility that Christ endured. And then it switches it around and it talks about the glory that Christ receives. So it talks there about how Jesus Christ was extremely humbled. He lay aside his glory. He came down to the earth as a human being, as a little baby, and how he submitted himself to death on the cross. And then it talks about the authority that the Father invested in him as a result of that. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God gave him the name that is above every name. God gave him authority. Every knee in heaven and on earth will bow to him. What God's saying here is that Christ rules. Christ has been given the Father's authority. Christ has power over everyone's life. That's what we mean when we say he is our Lord. He came to this world, he died, he paid for us, not with silver or gold, with his precious blood, and as a result of his suffering and death, we now belong to him. He is our master, he is our ruler. We are his servants. We are his people. We belong to him. And that calls, the call is that we submit to him, that we follow his leadership, his guidance, his authority in our lives. Well, the real question becomes, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ? Or maybe you're not willing to do that. Maybe you want to retain your independence. Maybe you want to do what so many other people in our society want to do You want to do what you want to do. You're going to make it happen. The Lord Jesus, he calls us to the beautiful life, brothers and sisters. He says, if you are wise, then you will obey me. And you will submit to my lordship. And he wants that for us. He says, this is the only way to live. It's in Matthew 11. We read together in verse 28. He says, come to me, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle 
and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He says, come to me. This is a really interesting thing. He says, take my yoke upon you. We don't have it anymore. We use tractors these days. But back in the old days, if you wanted to do some work on the land, then you took a pair of oxen, maybe some cows, and you yoked them together. You took this heavy beam. Usually it was a wooden beam, and you laid it across their shoulders, and you put it around their necks. And so they were, they were yoked next to each other, and they were under this heavy burden. And then you attached a plow, or you attached a wagon, or whatever it is behind them that you wanted to pull, that you wanted them to pull. It doesn't have the connotation of a light burden, of an easy, as an easy road. But Christ says, he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And he invites you to follow him. On the one hand, that sounds really pleasant. It'd be really nice to have a light yoke. Really nice to have a light burden. But the real thing is, if you're going to follow him, is that there's still a part of us, still something in our hearts that wants to do what we want to do. There's still a part of us that a core doesn't really want to submit to the yoke of Christ. There's part of us that says that following Christ is a bit boring. And it's a bit tedious. And it means we have to give up things that have had a huge impact on us, that have a huge impact in our identity. And many times, that's really hard. There's a huge lie, brothers and sisters. The lie is that you do what you want to do and you're going to have a good life. The lie is that that following your desires and your wish and your pleasure leads you to the best end. Because naturally, your desires are sinful. The truth is that the more you pursue your own desires, often the more you suffer and the more pain you experience. What does it look like to submit to Christ? There's a couple of parts to it. First part, is that you're renewed in your thinking, that in your mind you have a change of mind. And the second part is that you're renewed in your affections, that you have different desires, that you want different things. And the scripture emphasizes both of these. In the first place, it talks about your mind. Think of Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God's saying, don't be conformed to this world. That's the natural thing that we do. We are conformed to this world. We live according to the pattern of the world. And God's saying, don't do that. But instead he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to to have a change of mind. That's the only way to be transformed is when, when your thinking is different. You know, boys and girls, real life, what does it look like? Well, if you're conformed to this world, then you're ruled by your desires. You do what you want to do. All your friends have phones, so you go to your mom and dad and you say, I need a phone because this is what's fun and this is what I need. 
or your friends are online, it's late at night, your mom's at your door, she's banging on your door, or she's after you and she says, you need to go to bed. And you're saying, but mom, I'm on an online game with my friends and I don't want to go to bed because if I leave, then we're going to lose. And so you have these powerful desires that you want to follow. Or when you're a little older, brothers and sisters, how often does it happen? The same thing. There are these strong desires within us. It's so easy when someone is inconsiderate, your spouse is a little bit snarky to you, that it's so easy to respond in kind. It's so easy to allow the divisions. So Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 2. I'm sorry, in Philippians 2, the divisions and the difficulties and the brokenness in relationship to define the way that you respond to other people. It's so easy to be proud and to be selfish. And Paul's core calling here in Philippians 2 is that you put that away from you. And you don't live that kind of way, but that you have one mind, and that in love you serve others. You see them as better than yourselves. Well, the only way you get there, Paul's saying, is to be transformed in your thinking. Your thinking needs to be renewed. As a constant theme, he comes to throughout many of his letters. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. Make it your goal to make every thought captive to Christ. Or if you think of Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, the Lord warns us against living a godless life and following all our evil desires. Then in the first place, he talks about godless thinking. Where do your sinful desires come from? They come from sinful thinking. And so he warns against these sinful thoughts, and he warns against the consequences of those sinful thoughts. Ephesians 4.17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, not in their sinful actions, but in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous, and they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They have these, these futile thoughts in their minds. Their, dark, their understanding is darkened, Paul's saying. They're alienated from God because of the ignorance that is in their hearts. And the result is that they lead these godless lives. And Paul says, actually, when you live that kind of a lifestyle, it's really brutal. He says they, they try to satisfy their desires, but instead of ever, ever receiving any kind of satisfaction, they have this continual lust for more. They always want more, and they're always searching for more. You don't satisfy your lust by looking at pornography. If you look at your pornography, then you're going to want to look at more and more and more pornography. You don't satisfy your greed by getting lots of money. If you get lots of money, if that's your focus, making lots of money in life, and if you get lots of money in life, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden one day you're like, oh, okay, now I'm good. Now what happens is you want more and more and more money. As the Lord says, what needs to change is that you need to be renewed in your thinking. Your thinking needs to change. Well, how does your thinking change? How do you become new in your thinking? What does it actually look like? Well, at core, 
The scripture says you need to know God. It's when you know God, if you know his power, if you know his provision, if you know his promises, then that changes you, that makes you into a new person, that your sinful desires, they don't have the same kind of control over you. And so at core, it's about knowing who God is. And it says you know God, then the truth of his word is able to soak into your hearts. And then you're struggling with an issue. Let's say you're struggling with greed. Greed is a big thing in your life, and you recognize, hey, this is getting too big for me. Then you go back to the scriptures, and you search the scriptures, and you open up the word, and you see what the Lord has to say about this in your word, in the word. And you do that, brothers and sisters, and you're renewed in your thinking. It changes you. The word is a very powerful thing. You can do that. I've done that in so many areas of my life. Sometimes my prayers are really weak, and I say to myself, Dirk, you really need to grow in prayer. And how does it do? Well, in the first place, you need to know God. You need to know who God is so that you pursue a relationship with him. And then you need to know about what he says in his word about prayer. And when you search the scriptures and when you see what the scripture says about prayer, then this is the way that God gives you a new mind. He transforms your thinking and he changes you to make you into a new person. Well, the question is, brothers and sisters, do you have a Christian mind? Do you submit to God in your thinking? Are you grounded in the word? Do you have a relationship with God? And do you let his word speak into your life? It's really interesting. I have a book on my shelf. It's written by Harry Blameyers, 1963. The book's called The Christian Mind. And he, I don't agree with everything he says in the book, but the main theme that he makes there is really worth considering. He starts off the book, very first line, there is no longer a Christian mind. And then he works it out. He says, the modern mind has been secularized to such an extent that it's been deprived of any supernatural orientation. He talks about six things in the book. He says, we don't have an orientation towards God or eternity. He says, we've lost an awareness of evil a biblical conception of truth, an acceptance of authority, a concern for the person, and a sacramental caste. He says at one time Christians had a real sense of this, but the world's been secularized to such an extent that we don't understand these things. We don't live with an awareness of God. We don't live with a leaning towards the eternal future. He says in our lives, he says, in our, in our society, and that's something that's affected us in our thinking, he says, there's so little understanding that the ultimate standard of truth is the word instead of personal experience, instead of personal value of truth. He says, there's little understanding of the need or the blessing of authority. There's little understanding of the value of human beings. And he's talking in a time where there was an explosion of the use of machinery, and the machinery was, was so valuable and he says, as we, as we love machines, we lose an understanding of the value of people. And his point is that this hasn't only affected the world. He says, this has made shocking inroads into the church. This has really deeply affected our perspectives on life, our values, our priorities, and our ways of living. It's affected 
our relationship with our Father. Well, he wrote this, the book 60 years ago, brothers and sisters. Imagine if you're alive today. What would he say? Have we not become far more weak and flabby in our thinking? Sometimes we can't even tell each other what's Christian. Never mind tell our world the truth about Christ. You know, if I reflect on it, brothers and sisters, it's really quite striking. It seems that in many ways, even in my lifetime, that the discussion has changed. When I was a child, I remember some discussions about whether or not it's appropriate to have a television in your house. We had some discussions about what's appropriate to watch. What can you watch and what can you not watch? Should you go to the movies? These kind of questions, they almost seem quaint today. Since that time, we have the introduction of computers and phones and the internet. We have social media and streaming services and video games. And so now today, the whole conversation has changed. The question today is not, should you have the technologies? But the question today is, how do we manage those technologies? It's almost assumed that we all have them. The question is, when do the children get a phone? That's the question. When do we allow them to get a phone? How much time do you give to your kids for gaming? We talk with other parents about that. When do you do that and how much time do you do that and how do you manage that? And What's an appropriate thing for us to do? Some parents make a big deal about screen time. Some parents monitor their, their children's usage to make sure that their kids are not getting in trouble online. But then what are the standards? You have the web filtering software and the web filtering software filters according to excessive porn, excessive violence, excessive um, you know, weapons or, or such things, things like that. But in the meantime, what about all the other godless drivel that sneaks through and that influences our thinking? You know, if you think about it, brothers and sisters, if you, you read the Bible for 10 minutes a day, maybe you want to do it when you get home, open up your phone and check your screen time for the last week and compare the 10 minutes of Bible reading a day to the hours and hours of screen time that you have, then ask yourself the question, how is it possible to maintain a Christian mind? Can we do it? Maybe another challenge. Take a look at the top 10 movies at Netflix or Disney Plus. Top 10. And tell me, can you find one that promotes a Christian mind? If you think about even just these six things that Blaymeyer talked about, source of truth, respect for authority, orientation towards God and the eternal life, respect for person. If you think about it in, in light of those things, even if I say to you, the top 100, see if you can find one movie in the top 100 that really promotes a Christian mind. What do you think it does to your soul if for hour after hour after hour you play Minecraft or Fortnite or The Legends of Zelda 
or Call of Duty? Does that help you to grow in respect for God or grow in respect for authority? Or if you spend hour after hour on Marketplace or on Instagram or Pinterest, does that help you to be strong in God's truth and to live with a view to the eternal life that's in store for you? The more we pursue the desires of the flesh, the more we're left with a continual lust for more. Your ability to think Christianly is trashed. You end up with this vacuous, empty existence. Well, God says, put it to death. He says, do not be conformed to this world. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Christ says to you, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of soul. You will find rest for your souls. The earliest followers of the Lord Jesus were called disciples. They were discipled by him. They were disciplined by him. When they wrote themselves, they called themselves servants, and they called themselves slaves of Jesus Christ. They were men who were willing to follow Christ wherever it led and whatever the cost. They gave up their own life, and they followed him. They submitted to his lordship. Quite something for them. They used to follow the rabbis. They had all their, their own desires. But more and more, they were discipled by Christ, and they came to understand who he was. And they came to understand what the life with Christ really looks like. And they committed. They were in. They wanted that. And Christ promised them. He says, you know, I've just started with you. But he says, I'm going to go into heaven. And then when I get into heaven, he says, I'm going to continue the process. And I'm going to work it out for you. John 14, verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Well, if you confess Christ as your Lord, brothers and sisters, then you're committing to following him. By nature, our thoughts are mutinous. They're rebellious. You're committing yourself to deny your own will and to walk in his ways. It is the way of wisdom. If you obey him, if you build your house upon the rock, then you are the wise man. It's also the way of love. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will obey my commands. The ultimate way we can show our Savior that we do love him is to walk in his ways and to do what he says. And so it starts by cutting the trash out of your life, brothers and sisters. It starts by renewing your mind. And it is as you renew your mind that you commit your life to faithful service. Then you're able to follow him. And then there will be difficult things. That's the way it is in the Christian life. There are hard things that you have to go through. But Christ will be there for you. And he'll walk the journey with you. And he'll carry you through it. And that's the reason why his yoke is easy and why his burden is light. Because he equips you, and he carries you, he enables you, and he blesses you. 
If we think about it from that perspective, brothers and sisters, does it sound dumb or boring or uninviting to have Christ as your Lord? Will it take all the fun out of life? Will it lead to you being restricted and stagnant and having a drab existence? That's the lie of our society. But our Lord tells us the truth. It leads to peace. It leads to unity. It leads to blessing. Beautiful relationships with other people. It leads to genuine freedom. Where you're free. Free to serve God. Free from the slavery of sin. Free from being bound to your sinful desires. The sad thing is, we don't have it in us to make it happen. We don't want to submit. But the good news is that God helps us with that. He gives us his spirit. Christ ascended into heaven and he poured out his spirit on us. And since he submitted, since he was faithful, since he was the faithful son of God, God gave him the authority so that he would lose none of those whom the father had given to him. And so Christ has authority and he uses that authority in our lives. And when we look to him, when we depend upon him, when we pray to him for help, then he makes us into new people. And he equips us so that we put sin to death, and that we don't allow the sinful desires to have power in our lives. It is as we submit to his authority, as we look to him in faith, that he not only teaches us, but he leads us into all freedom. He gives us his spirit, and he pours out his blessing. Amen. Well, let's sing, brothers and sisters, of the, the humility and the, the authority, the lordship of Christ. Let's do it with hymn 23, verses 1 through 6.
Let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. In our prayer this afternoon, we'll remember a few members of our congregation. In the first place, our brother Trevor Deek. He's scheduled for knee surgery to have a knee replacement later this month. So we'll pray to God that God bless the preparatory work for that and also the, the surgery in due time. Then secondly, the, the funeral for um, the late brother Harry Tenhaf is scheduled for this week, Tuesday. So we'll pray that God be near to the Tenhaf family as they have to bury their, their brother and uncle. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we thank and praise you that our Lord Jesus Christ died and rose again, that he accomplished the work that you gave him to do, and that he is seated at your right hand with power and authority. Thank you, Father, for investing your authority in him. It's a beautiful way that you could love your son, and you could show how, how happy you are with him and how, blessed, how much you blessed him for his faithful service. And thank you, Lord, that our Lord Jesus, he judges in the same way that you do, that you do that he uses the authority in the same way that you would. Thank you that together you secure our salvation. Father, we are just like the Israelites. We are also sons by adoption, but many times we're disobedient sons. We're sons who, who go astray. We are like the prodigal son who lives a, a profligate life. Father, we, we confess our sin to you, and we want to pray that you would forgive us for Jesus' sake. We look to Christ as our Savior, and we pray that for his sake, that you apply his righteousness to our account, and that you show us your love and mercy. Father, thank you that Christ was faithful, and thank you that, that as we believe in him, that we get to share in his righteousness and his faithfulness. We also pray then, Lord, that you would work it out in our lives, that we submit to, to you as our Lord Jesus Christ submitted to you. Please strengthen us with your Holy Spirit. Please renew us so that we can be transformed in our thinking. Help us to know you, Lord. Help us to love you and to live in an intimate relationship with you. Help us to understand that there's an eternal future in store for us and help us to lean towards that future in everything we do today. Help us, Father, to respect those whom you set over us, to respect the authority that you exercise through them. Help us to understand the distinction between good and evil. Our world says a lot of things are evil that are actually good. And our world says a lot of things that are good that are actually evil. And when we live in this world, when we have a lot of, of influence from the world, then sometimes that, that changes our thinking so that instead of thinking biblically, that we end up being conformed to our world. We ask, Lord, that you would change us, that we understand the nature between good and evil, and that we make the kind of judgments that you would make. Father, help us to, to appreciate the the special place that you've given to us as people being created in your image and help us to understand how we are to live as image bearers, that we are to live righteous lives, that we are to give a reflection of you in our dealings and everything that we do. Help our lives also to have a sacramental cast, that we understand that in many of the, the beautiful things in life that, they, that re, they reflect you and they're given to us in order to draw us in relationship with you and help us then, Lord, to be able to do that to seek your face and to live in close fellowship with you. Father, this renewing of the mind, this is a gift of your spirit. This is something that Christ has secured for us. And so we pray that you would do it through your word and spirit. We also ask, Lord, that you would also renew our will so that we're, we're willing to obey you, that our desires naturally follow our thinking. Grant that as we know you and love you, 
that it is our great desire in order to honor you and serve you and to glorify you in everything that we do. Father, thank you that you've begun this good work in us, and we pray that you would bring it to completion. Please help us more and more to grow in fellowship with you and to flee from sin and evil. Father, we are so grateful for the message we heard this morning, that our sanctification is your work. It is the work of your spirit within us. And so we, we pray that you would complete this work. And we thank you, Father, that you promise us that you will do it. And so we ask that this can be experienced in our lives. Father, help us in the midst of the struggle. So many of us struggle with our sinful nature in so many ways. And we pray that you set us free, that you rescue us. Please grant that we also help each other, that especially within our families, that we're able to, to assist one another and to talk to each other and to help each other to walk in obedience to you. Lord, grant that we may show you our love by walking in obedience to your commands. Dear Father in heaven, we also pray that you would then bless us in every other way in our lives. Grant that as we walk under your guidance and under your direction, under your lordship and authority, that we would have beautiful lives, that you carry us through the difficult things, and that you, that you are with us and you are near us, and that we're able to do it in a good way. Father, thank you for doing this already, that in so many ways we experience this in our lives. We also want to pray that you take care of us with all the other challenges that we face. There are many members of our congregation who have physical challenges. I want to ask that you be near to your people. Please strengthen and support your people. Sometimes we, we struggle, Lord. I think especially of our brother Trevor Deke. struggles with walking, and there's a lot of pain in his knee. We pray, Lord, that in due time that he's able to get a knee replacement. Please grant a blessing over the, the pre-op and the work that the doctors are doing and grant that, that later this month that he's able to get the operation, that he can receive a new knee. And please grant your blessing upon that. We also have quite a few members in our church who have new knees and we ask that you would help them so that they're able to have mobility and that they can be free from pain and that things may go well for them. But there's also a lot of members of our congregation who, who have trouble with hearing, especially the elderly. And we ask that you grant he hearing to them that they're able to hear, that they're able to communicate. It's often quite isolating if they're not able to do that. We have some members of our congregation who struggle with eyesight. We pray, Lord, to grant your blessing, that you grant healing, and that you grant help, that it may go well for them. Some of us, Lord, who struggle with mental health difficulties, sometimes we, we face a lot of darkness in our lives. Sometimes we face a lot of anxiety. Sometimes we have a lot of distress within our person, and we, we really struggle with that. Sometimes we, we struggle with with being burned out. We ask, Lord, that you please support and strengthen us, that you give us your Holy Spirit, and that you carry us through these difficult times. Please grant the peace of Christ. And please grant, Lord, that we may find rest and that we can find peace in you. Lord, at the same time, we, we recognize that, that our minds are not only limited to, to our spiritual well-being, but there's also a very physical part of our minds. And sometimes our minds are they're damaged as well. And we ask that you would grant healing where, there's, where there is that damage. Father, thank you that you have the ability to make all things well. We're incredibly complicated people and we entrust ourselves to you. And we pray for your help, that you would carry us, that you give us what we need to live joyful lives in service before you. And then Father, we also pray that you would be with those members of our congregation who are grieving the loss of loved ones, we ask that you surround us with your care, that you give us a real sense of, of the nearness of our Lord Jesus, that the Holy Spirit may live in us, that we can have the peace of Christ. 
Please grant, Lord, that we can find joy in you and that you, that you carry your people forward. Father, we also pray that you please bless the, the students and teachers who have some time off from, from school. We're so grateful for, for the fact that another term is done. We're grateful for this opportunity for rest and relaxation and rejuvenation. Please grant a, a blessing over this time that there can be a great time of, of being rejuvenated and refreshed, and that in due time that they can take up their task once again. Please be near to those who are traveling, give safety on the roads. Please also grant your blessing in, in the relationships that we have. Father, we ask that you please take care of us as we go on from here. Thank you for the gift of the community of the saints. Thank you for, for all the blessing, all the love that you give to us. We're grateful, Lord, also for the faithful ministry of Brother Nathan Plater in our midst in this past year. Thank you so much, Lord, for, for allowing us to hear the faithful proclamation of the gospel. Thank you for working in his heart with your Holy Spirit, that he's able to discern the word, that he's able to preach it to us. And we pray for your blessing over that ministry. Thank you for the teaching that he did. Thank you for the visiting within our congregation. Thank you for the blessings that you've given to our brother and to his wife. And we want to entrust Dathan and Katrina to your throne of grace. Please be near to them and to their son Elias. And please surround them with your kindness and with your grace. Shine your face upon them and bless them as they go on from here. Pray for a blessing over our brother as he prepares for classes later this month. We ask that that may go well, that he can sustain his class exam, that he may be eligible for call within the churches. Father, we, we receive it as a great gift that you brought him to us. And we're grateful for the time that we could have together. And we, we honor you for that. And we, we pray for your blessing as we go on from here. Please forgive us our sins. Please hear our prayer. And please do it for Christ's name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you now have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to the Lord. Like we heard this morning, the collection this afternoon is actually for the Ministry of Mercy, not for the needy students. Then after the collection, you're invited to rise, and we're going to sing together from hymn 46, the verses 1 and 3.
Receive now the blessing of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.